My father was commissioned a Navy SEAL officer in 1976. On September 28th of 1990, he retired. Approaching the age of 40, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and forced into retirement. Over the last 30 years, uh, as I became more able-bodied and skilled in life, my father has lost more and more of his independence. In that time, I have watched his body go from that of an elite warfighter to that of a helpless old man. Because of the physical change that I have, I'm sorry, because of the physical change that I have watched my father undergo, I have had many wonderful opportunities with my dad. I have been privileged to help him move, to eat, and to take care of him throughout the years. Don't get me wrong, all of that is terribly annoying and I hate all of it, okay? Taking care of someone is hard, but no one is going to do it better than me, my mother, or my brother. Recently, I was home and changing my father's diaper. I noticed that whoever changed him previously from the staff was not as thorough as I would have liked. Since the beginning of my medical career back in 2007, I have dealt with a lot of fecal matter. It happens. And like any parent or fellow healthcare worker, we try and minimize those interactions as quickly as we can. But given the options of letting my father receive less than the best of care or taking the time to care for him in a way that he can no longer do for himself, I got the distinct honor of changing the diaper of Jesus. Not only that, but we're talking about my father, a man who has literally given me everything from my genetics to my name. There is nothing that my brother, mother, or myself would not do for that man. But this is not because we are an awesome family, and in fact, we often put the fun in dysfunctional. But you cannot convince me that anyone else is going to care for that man better than the three of us. And I would expect the same thing in your families. Those people that are your family and close friends, you want to go the extra mile for. If they need strength, you want to be the strongest person you can for them. If they need tenderness, you want to be the most tender and loving person possible. So, let's go to the Catechism real quick to see what it says about men and women. In paragraph 2335, it says this, quote, Each of the two sexes is an image of the power and tenderness of God, with equal dignity, though in a different way, end quote. Even though God has made us physically, emotionally, and mentally different, man and woman both encompass, as it says, power and tenderness. There is no masculine feeling and no feminine feeling. There are only feelings felt by human beings. Men have always been tender, and women have always been strong. This is how the church views men and women. We fall into one of two categories, completely different in beautiful ability, but same in dignity. So the only distinction that matters is male or female. It's never us versus them. It's always us. But we love the us versus them mentality, don't we? The readings today all contain the theme of us versus them. 
We've loved this tribal way of thinking ever since the first time a man took a rock and hit another man in the head with it. Racial lines, class lines, nationalities, vaccination status, we love coming up with reasons to hate other people, to dehumanize them. Now the worst is when we know someone is a sinner and when we know their sin. So that brings me to the next question. How should we treat sinners? Well, luckily, Jesus has already addressed that in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 17. But in case you don't have a pocket Bible, I'll read it. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. So, many Christians like to take the three strikes and you're out approach. You hurt me and I tell you. I bring friends and tell you. And then I finally get the priest to tell you that you're wrong. And then I can cut you out of my life, right? Wrong. That is not what Matthew 18, 17 is saying. Look at Paul's treatment to the Gentiles in the second reading tonight. He knows they are lost sheep. The heart of Jesus is moved with pity for the crowds in the Gospels at other times, but the heart of Paul is moved with pity for the pagans. He doesn't want them to be lost. He treats tax collectors and Gentiles like they matter, like Jesus did. So rather than cutting someone out of my life, if I have gone to them three different times and they still do not see the light, then in my charity, I pray for that person. Now, we're supposed to pray for our enemies, according to Jesus, and I don't think he meant pray that they get hit by a bus. So we are supposed to pray for them, as if you cared about them as much as you care about your own mother or your own father or whoever it is that you value and love most, your spouse, your favorite child. Don't lie, we know you have one. But the point is that we are supposed to pray for our enemies as valuably as we pray for those we love, not with the same emotion, but with the same good intention. Because no matter what, no matter who, that person is a person and has dignity and is loved by God. The answer then is that we should treat tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, money launderers, or any other type of sin and sinner with love. Sorry, we treat the sinner, not the sin with love. But we should treat all of humanity with charity. We do this not because it's nice. Jesus was never nice. Do not be a fool and read the gospel of nice. He called people to conversion constantly because he would not let them stay in their sin. So yes, Jesus met with and ate with tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners, but none of them was left the same after. None turned a trick or extorted taxes after their encounter with Jesus. Jesus brought them from the black sheep and outcast of the community to valued members on the inside, just as he did for all of us once. The first reading shows the distinction of foreigners being welcomed in. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying about how the Gentiles will be grafted onto the branch of salvation. 
He is literally talking about us right now. We are the direct beneficiaries of that graft that happened. When Jesus came to the Jews and they rejected his reform of Judaism, he brought it to whomever would listen. And because Jesus knew the gospel was for everyone, and Paul went specifically to the Gentiles, we enjoy the gift of faith now as adopted sons and daughters of God by virtue of our baptism. Just like sinners and tax collectors, he forgave their sins and changed their lives. Our baptism took away our original sin and made us adopted sons and daughters of God and made us never have to worry about being on the outside again. The people Isaiah is talking about become foreigners, I'm sorry, go from foreigners to insider by observing what is right and doing what is just. We are called to the same thing. We have the same Ten Commandments that Isaiah had, and we are still called to follow them. So now that we know that we are on the inside, we have an obligation to bring the gospel to as many as we can so that they can be on the inside too. Now this can be difficult because what if they are leading a life directly against the gospel? What if they don't agree with me or even actively disagree with me? Now let's go back to the catechism because I think it says it so beautifully. Now the paragraph I am about to quote is talking about a specific sin, but honestly it doesn't matter which sin it's talking about. But it is paragraph 2358 and it says, Anyone who deals with this sin must be treated with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. These people are called to fulfill God's will in their lives, and if they are Christians, to unite to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross the difficulties they may encounter from their condition. So again, without talking about what sin specifically, I want you to listen to the words that Holy Mother Church talks about her children with. This is the way that the heart of Holy Mother Church is moved with compassion for her children. It says they must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. So now we know that no matter what the sin, this is how we are to treat people. We are to never look at others like they are different just because they come from somewhere else or look different. We are all human. We all live during this time. We are all created male and female and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We are all citizens of heaven by virtue of our baptism. Any other distinction is purely imaginative. This week, try to view humanity in terms not of me and them or us and them, but rather think of everyone as on the same team. We're all on the same team trying to get to heaven. So my question for you this week is, are you a team player?